0: Listeners and friends, welcome back to Maya, My Yoga Audio. I'm your host, Megan Morgan, and today I want you all to meet Tammy Hackbarth. She helps women get their time and energy back so they can go after their big life goals. She's a coach, podcast host, and mama, and she believes that self-care is the answer to creating your dream life. She started coaching other women because self-care changed her life so much, she's now ready to help you change yours. I met Tammy a few years back now at a LinkedIn event, and we continued to see each other at events around town like Creative Mornings. Eventually we did some walks together and she graciously invited me onto her podcast, the 100% guilt-free self-care podcast. And we mostly talked about my book in episode 13, Death Brings Clarity with Megan Morgan, author of The End of Me. I highly encourage you to listen to all of her 94 episodes so far. She's got a plethora of amazing guests, ask great questions, and she has series that are focused on everything from books to Enneagram numbers, and most recently, grief. And she's also a future thought leader cohort of mine with our mutual friend family, who many of you may know, and was also a guest on the podcast a few months back. So Tammy, Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you.
0: (laughs) I always love talking to you. It's the best.
1: (laughs) So I know that
0: you address this on your website and on your podcast, but I would love if you could tell listeners in this moment when and how prioritizing self-care became your mission in your life's work and not just something you discovered how to do for yourself.
1: I love this question because I really had to think about it. I was like, when did that happen? So I had a light bulb moment when I was a teacher. So before I was a coach, I was an elementary school teacher. And uh, while I was a teacher, which a job I totally loved and excelled at. And my, my principal was like, you're the best. and I was like, oh, my God, I love being the best because, you know, I love gold stars. But then after a few months, he's like, you're great. And you're kind of sucking the joy out of the room. And I was like, what? And he goes, are you happy? And I just, I did the ugly cry. Like the, and then I said, but what does that have to do with anything? And he said, well, if you, even if you're good at something, it doesn't mean you have to do it. If it doesn't make you happy. And I was like, offended. (laughs) And I felt like I got busted. And I was like, but, 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 but I said, but I thought I was good at it. He's like, you are. That's not the point. We're talking about totally different things. And I thought, you know what? Forget you. I'm mad at you. I kind of got a little bratty. It's embarrassing because it's not like I was 20. I was like i don't know 39 or something mm-hmm. and so i decided in that moment i was like you know what i'm just going to go do what i need to do which is you know what your mom tells you to do or your grandma or anyone and it's like you know what i'm going to make sure i get enough sleep i'm going to make sure i cook my own meals i'm going to make sure i actually make it to that yoga class at 4:30 i'm going to do all the things screw him if they can't see how great i am forget it and with that i began this Uh, it kind of felt like a campaign for myself, which was like, you know what? Forget you all. I'm going to try this and see what happens. And what happened is I was in fact a lot happier at work and it was easier to sit next to me in a staff meeting. And my students who, by the way, if you've never had nine-year-old coworkers, Mm. they are amazing in so many ways. And one way that they are amazing is that there's 20 little faces mirroring back to you what you're giving to them. So there's no escaping who you are when you have a bunch of little mirrors looking at you. And I was like, oh my God. And so as I filled up my own cup, I hate that phrase, but there you go. As I I poured into myself and I became happier, everything got easier. And I thought, oh, that confirms it. I've always had this like deep inner voice that was like, You know, you suck. You know, you're actually broken. You know, other people don't need this much self care. Other people have their shit together. Other people can do what you can't. And I was like, okay, true, but I do feel so much better. (laughs) So during this time, we were in the process of becoming parents. We had a three-year paper pregnancy because we made our family through adoption. And it took a really long time. And through that process, I did go to a, an acupuncturist who was very blunt. And he said, You're going to drop dead in your classroom if you do not take care of your stress. And I was like, Oh, that's cute. Can you help me clear up my face? Because I had really bad stress acne. And he was like, Okay, maybe you're not hearing me. You need to deal with your stress. And I was like, Okay. So What does one do when you are told that you need to deal with your stress? You go to yoga. But because I'm a super type A go-getter, I was like, I'm going to become a yoga teacher. (laughs) So I became a yoga teacher. And and then I was like, it was funny because I didn't become a yoga teacher to become a teacher. I did become a teacher. And that's kind of, we run in the same circles, a lot of the Mm -hmm. same circles. But I wanted to really deepen my practice. I didn't just want to go to yoga class because I always felt like, how do they know all this stuff? What books are they reading? So I took yoga teacher training as like a really expensive book club. Oh, yeah. And I was going to learn, you know, where my feet should go in poses. But then I did start teaching yoga and I loved it. I was like, oh my God, this is like, you know, because I'm already a teacher. I had my own classroom, I had all these kids. But then there was this other thing that I was teaching that was really close to my heart. And through the evolution of that compounded with, and then our paper pregnancy was coming to a conclusion, we were becoming parents. I was like, let me take a couple of years to do a leave of absence from my teaching job. And while I do that, I will also, you know, focus on my yoga business. And it was in 2016 that I decided, you know what? No one ever asks me where their feet should go on the mat. No one. No one cares where their elbows go. And I was like, why do people keep hiring me? And I had a bunch of private clients. And people kept coming to me and they're like, I don't feel good in my body in this way. What can I do for that? And it was, A lot more yoga off the mat. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot more this deep inner wisdom of like listening to what you need. So, this idea of you're not gonna deal with all your stress for an hour on a mat in a studio and feel great the rest of your life, right? Especially if you're not doing it every day. But the idea is my private clients, especially, were like, but what can I do during every day so that I can feel good when I wake up, feel good? during work, feel good after work and have the energy to do what I want. And I was like, that is such a good question.
0: (laughs) Mm. The million dollar question.
1: Right. I was like, that is excellent. And they're like, but you seem to do it. I'm like, you know, I only have the one full time job called being a mom right now. I have that placeholder teacher job and I am doing this yoga thing. But I thought wait a second, what was that thing that helped me transition from being somebody that's so unhappy at a job that they love, that you're being called out by your boss to somebody who's like, oh my God, I feel good. I'm raising a baby. Sure, they're hard, but I kind of I feel like I got this thing. And it came down to self-care. So I started working with a business coach, Rachel Cook, if anyone's wondering. She has a podcast called Promote Yourself to CEO. That's what it's called now. And in our business coaching calls, mm-hmm. she said, Hey, you know how you can definitely find out how you're going to serve your clients exactly? And we were all like, Tell us the secret, Rachel. And she said, You actually have to talk to people who might become your clients someday and ask them what they think about the thing that you think you're going to do. And I was like, At one point, she said, Everybody, I want you to contact five people and ask them questions about your thing. And I thought, oh, I could never do that. And then I don't know if she was joking, but at some point she mentioned, you know what, maybe you should talk to a hundred people about your thing. And I thought, that sounds bonkers. I don't know why talking to a hundred people was more appealing to me than talking to five people, (laughs) but it was. So in 2016, I said, you know what, I'm not going to take on any clients. I was in coaching school. I had decided, I'm like, I'm going to become a life coach. I'm going to get certified through UC Davis. I'm doing the thing. And so while I was in my coaching program, I did what I call the 100 Women Project. What I did was I said, hey, ladies, on the socials, all my social media channels, I said, look, I'm going to interview 100 women about self-care. And the only criteria for this conversation is that you... Get this link, sign up on my schedule, and then here's the questions. I gave people the questions ahead of time. And I said, and I'm not going to sell you anything. This isn't a bait and switch. We're just going to have a conversation so I can get information. And so the idea was, like, if I'm going to go all in and try to help people, I need to know if somebody other than myself struggles with self-care. So I asked people, a hundred women from around the world. I didn't interview any of my friend friends. Oh no, there were a couple of friend friends. But mostly they were friends of friends, followers on social media, people I had met at conferences, or so it was like all my internet friends coming together in one place. And I asked them, what is self-care? It ranged from mannies and petties and vacations with my friends to deep self-compassion, self-forgiveness you know, the sore. And I was like, okay, okay. And I will say that it skewed more towards the, um, the mass women's magazines version, the buy this sweatsuit and this face mask, you'll feel better. I called them the unicorns, the people who were like the self-compassion and the forgiveness. Those were all people that had gone through yoga teacher training, because that's where I really had this burst where I was like, oh, there's another way. There's another way to do things. So I said, what is it? How's it going? Like, where are you being successful in your definition? Where are you struggling? 100% of women said in a hushed voice, I don't go to the gym enough or I don't exercise enough. And I thought, "Ooh, exercise. You have a PR problem. (laughs) Like we all need you, but exercise the word makes people feel bad. So we rebranded and we call it movement. And then I said, where are you struggling, exercise? So then we'd been on the phone for like 20 minutes at this point, because they're all 30-minute interviews. And I said, okay, now I've got you. What's your deep, dark secret you don't want to tell me about self-care? And almost everyone, like a super majority, like 85%, were like, self-care is selfish. And in that moment, you could have knocked me over with a feather, because I was like, what? Girl, that is not... My belief. I am wounded. I am broken. <laughs> that's, there's something wrong with me. Selfish. What is this? And I thought, oh my God. No wonder why people have a really hard time doing the thing that's really good for them because they feel like if they take care of themselves, then they're going to be rejected by their friends and their family and they're going to be called a selfish grump or whatever. And I thought, oh, oh, okay, now I get my job. First things first, self-care is a thing and we do all need it. And we apparently need an education about it because it doesn't have to be expensive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't have to be expensive at all because a lot of the things happen in your head. But I thought, wow, I have a lot of educating to do. So that was a really long answer to that very first question. (laughs) It was a great answer.
0: We needed to hear all of those things and it actually perfectly kind of segued into the next thing I wanted to ask you about because you've got a background as a teacher both in schools and in yoga so I'm glad you touched on that because sometimes it's like the end of the interview before I talk to people about yoga so even though it's my yoga audio it is about the off the mat parts too, right? It's, there's yeah. sessions on here where people can do a class or listen to a meditation or practice for themselves. But it's also about the yoga of life, yolking, you know, with ourselves. But I know you have a background in politics, and that's something we've talked a lot about both online and offline. And I'm curious how that experience working in politics has helped shape your view of the world and what you do in it. And I know that's a big question, too.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you asked because this question, I was like, oh, I've answered this one in this way before. Because so I'm obviously a career changer. I spent a decade in politics, about a decade in teaching kids, and now I'm like a decade into the yoga coaching world. And I was like, wait. God, this is like I'm crazy job hopper. What? Like, I'm like, let me get my head around. Like, what is happening? Like, and how did I get here? And all of this and my underlying fundamental belief. And the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning, every morning, since I was a little kid was, I want to make the world a better place for women. And when you make the world a better place for women, you make the world a better place for kids. And that was the thread through all of it. And so when I worked in politics, I learned that that arena gave me a tummy ache. I am a big empath. I had a tummy ache for a decade and I was like, but what if I try this job? Nope, still got a tummy ache. What if I try this one? Nope, still got a tummy ache. So while I don't work in it directly anymore, I do know how to advocate for things in a way that other people might not. Like, I know how a bill becomes a law. I know how to effectively write letters of support or opposition to your members of Congress. I know how to direct my energy only towards people who have the power to make the change. So let's take voting rights, for example, right now. That's one thing I'm super focused on because, you know, we had huge voter turnout in 2020 and immediately... Republican-led legislatures all over the country are like, you know what we should do? We should take voting rights away from people, make it really hard to vote. And I happen to believe that the more people that vote, the better, (laughs) right? And so I could argue with my next-door neighbor, or I could argue with trolls online, but I choose not to. Every week on Tuesdays, maybe you've noticed, but every week on Tuesday, I post on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else, hey, on Tuesdays, we take action. And what I say is call. Here's the number for the capital switchboard. It's, hey, you guys, it's put this in your phone, 202-224-3121. You call that number and you say, I'm from California. Can you connect me to my senator's office? There's a real person who answers the phone, you talk to them and they did it. Or there might be a like, press here for this. But they connect you to the senator's office and then you can say, hey, and I'm calling about the Voting Rights Act, the For the People Act, which is basically it expands voting rights in the country. But I do this every Tuesday. So I not only say, hey, this is where the bill is in committee. This is who you need to call. Here's the phone number. Here's some things you can say. You can write them an email or you can send a fax. And you can call after hours and leave a voicemail. Introvert tip. Also, the person answering phone Is not your senator, and you do not have to know every single thing about a bill to have an opinion about it. The person answering the phone is likely a 20 to 23 year old intern who is hoping that they do not get yelled at when they pick up the phone. And I know that because that used to be me. I sat at an office, and every time the phone rang, I was like, oh my God, someone's going to yell at me. So just call, be polite, right? So it's like I can take these big, Concepts and winnow them down into actionable tasks for the everyday gal. Boy, that sounds a lot like teaching, (laughs) right? And so, politics. So, while I don't want to do it professionally, I still know how to do that. I know how to rally support around a cause that's important to me. So, one of the things I did in the 2020 election is for the six weeks leading up to the election, I donated $5 to 15 Senate campaigns. I just rotated through $5 one day for you, $5 one day. It was John Ossoff, here's $5 for you. Senator now, Senator Warnock, Reverend Warnock, here's $5 for you. Hey, Katie Porter, I know you're not in the Senate, but I do love what you do with your whiteboards. Here's $5 for you. But I didn't stop there. I said every day, hey, helping to flip the Senate blue. This is who I donated to. Will you donate to this campaign too? So while I was only doing $5 donations, my donations coupled with all the donations of my friends really added up, right? And so I believe that together when we take small imperfect action daily, we can make huge change not only in our lives or in the lives of our kids, but in how the world works. Right when more of us show up, we get more of what we want. Is it frustrating? Sure. Is it slow moving? Yes. But I choose to be somebody who takes small, imperfect action so that I feel like I am part of the solution to whatever you know problem we're having. Also, you don't have to be an expert on your thing, you really don't. (laughs) You just have to have a zip code. And a f- telephone or a fax machine. I know you're like, a fax machine? Yes, you can send faxes because they do still have faxes and you can do it from your phone with Fax Zero. <laughs> I know. I use oh. ResistBot. If you text 50409, it will connect you to this little robot, ResistBot, and they will contact your members for you. You just follow the prompts. So that's actually what I do while I'm brushing my teeth on Tuesday morning, because I like to pair my habits. <laughs> so my activist, my activism is very minty. Like, <laughs> I think of activism. I brush my teeth and I send like a 40 word text, which then gets sent. I live in California. So it goes to Senator Feinstein and Senator Padilla. And then usually within moments, Senator Padilla's office gets back to me, and usually within months I'm not even kidding. Senator Feinstein's office gets back to me. And um, so I'm doing stuff. And then I post about it on Instagram. I'm like, hey, this is what we're doing. Because it's Tuesday. Use ResistBot. Use your fax machine. Use this old fangled thing called a telephone. And do this. And then I'll link to articles like, hey, this is really important. Like, this is historic civil rights work that you could be doing from your home, even during a pandemic right? I know. And it's, it's, um, so how does that lead to teaching? Well, if you have the philosophy of, I want to change the world to make it a better place for fill in the blank. Like I worked in politics and I found, I was like, wow, this is really big. But what if we started from the beginning? What if we raised students? So my sweet spot with students is third and fourth grade. So that's like eight and a half to 11, you know, that sort of age range, PS, best coworkers you'll ever have. But I wanted to teach them, like, how do you care about what happens outside your immediate, like, how do you care about what happens in your classroom? And then what happens in your school? What happens in your city, your county, your state? And what do you do about it? Like, if you see a problem, what can you do about it? So because if you grow up knowing that your voice matters. And that you used it and that you know how to effectively use it, that mm-hmm. shit is life changing.
0: It is. And I wondered, oh my gosh, if you would mind if I jumped ahead to something I was gonna ask you a little bit later, just from talking to you personally. I wonder if you would feel comfortable using your voice uh, in this moment to talk about something really awful that happened to you as a child in and, and as great or little detail as you would like, but how that has shaped the woman you are. And are continuously becoming and you've already started it in the thread of what you just said about teaching kids to to use their voice and how life changing that could be. And I wondered if you could reflect back on back on that.
1: I will. And this is what I'll say. The details don't matter so much as the outcome. Right. The details are there was a point in my life where I had a social worker. And if you know anything about kids, if your kid has a social worker, that means there's usually some sort of law enforcement involved. And so I had early intervention with services outside of our home and it didn't happen in my home it was more of a community thing but the long and short of it is is my parents believed me my parents advocated for me and my parents showed me how to face adversity and stand up and use my voice to be a strong advocate for myself and so I spent a bunch of time in lawsuits against the person who hurt me. And it was fourth through sixth grade. And what I learned from that was bad shit can happen to you. You can get through it. You can use your voice. And it's interesting. You can use your voice. Like, I'll just say this. The person didn't do any prison time. They had to pay a fine, which is insulting. Yes, it's insulting. But it can be so much worse. But what I learned from it was, what the fuck do I have to lose? I can stand up and speak my truth. And other people, like grown-ups, witnessed my truth. Mm-hmm. They believed me. During all of that, I took it upon myself to, I want to stand up for people who don't have a voice. And then I was like, mm, that's not really my job. But what if I stand with them? Mm-hmm. What if I tell them my story so that they don't feel alone? What if I tell my story so that they know that telling the truth, sometimes you get support, sometimes you get what you want, sometimes you don't. There was something in that that I felt like it. I took my power back. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to teach other people that they are not powerless. Right? So one story I like to tell about, and this isn't about this is about me as a teacher, but because my students were the same age as me when I was going through this, mm-hmm. I worked at a school where we had noon doobie supervisors or community members. And we had this one guy who was just kind of an ass, to be perfectly honest. And every time my kids came back from recess when that guy was the supervisor, it was like I had to spend the next 30 minutes like calming them back down. They were just like enraged. Also, fourth graders, there is no injustice too small. Their sense of right and wrong is so spot on that you're like, I get it and we cannot do everything. But this this thing just, it kept bubbling up. And so I was like, we're having a family meeting. Come on, let's talk. Can we solve this problem? And I said, okay, I'm literally open to solutions. We need to solve this because I can't do this every day. And so we sat around in a circle. I wrote down the suggestions. I'm like, okay, what do you think? And they're like, can you do recess duty? I was like, that is so sweet. You're inviting me to stand on the blacktop every afternoon in a hundred degrees, wow! Thanks. No, but I'll write it down. But I'm going to go ahead and pre-cross that one out. <laughs> so we went through all of their suggestions, and I said, "I have a suggestion." And they're like, "Okay, this is all we were asking you for." And I was like, "Okay." I said, "Who has the power to change this dynamic?" And they're like, "I have no idea what that means." But I was like, "I said, who's in charge of that guy?" They said, "The principal." I said, "Okay." I said, "What if I facilitated a meeting between you?" And the principal, you guys, let's work together to write up what we think our side is. Like, you got to tell the truth about what happens when, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And they're like, okay. And I said, and then we'll take it to the principal and we see what she says. So they like got together, they did some note writing, they talked to each other, they figured out basically what their position was about like how they're going to present this material. And I was like, and I have to tell you, you kind of only have one chance to make an impression Mm -hmm. on somebody that you're trying to change. So if you go in there and you're accusatory, or if you go in there and you're like kind of immature, let's be real. That's what I'm getting at. If you don't handle it a certain way, she's going to be like, why are you in my office? Get out of here. I'm going to side with the grown-up. I was like, so what you need to do is try to be as mature as that guy or more, because this is kind of the issue. And let's see what resolution we can come up with. And we didn't send the whole class because that would be ridiculous, right? So, <laughs> voted, visualizing right that too. exactly. So, we voted on some representatives, and I'm like, okay, nice. go talk to her, present your argument, like present this in a way that, like, you guys kind of did with me, like what we're doing here, you know. And she listened, and then she talked to that guy, and he got like real, like, I need to know who did this, kind of like he got like very yeah oh and they went back to her and then she started watching him and then he got in trouble because she witnessed it with her own eyes mm. and then his behavior changed because he didn't believe kids had the power to change their lives that's an and, excellent example right and that was when the kids were like wait a minute i was like it wasn't perfect It took time. It took compromise. They, of course, wanted him to be fired and like tarred and feathered and all that, you know, because they're like, well, we get in trouble. We get in. I'm like, I know, but let's be real. This is what we do. Right. So this is the kind of thing that I felt as a teacher that I was like, let's learn how to do this. And what a gift to learn that what you do in the world makes a difference.
0: It is. That's a huge, huge gift and a step forward, a sense of empowerment to have that. Because I think all of us, when we feel powerless, is when we feel our worst, no matter what the situation is. So the younger we can learn about how we can affect change, as far as that's concerned, is, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. with us. both those stories, your story and what you experienced in teaching. I wondered if we could kind of shift in terms of like working mothering, partnering these last 18 months or so. My lady wrote down Oi. <laughs> um, <laughs> and how has that been for you? So how have you stayed mostly in quotation marks? Same. And when might there have been some really rough spots that you managed to pull yourself out of with self-care practices or other means of support? I'll mention one. There's one you did, you posted, I think it was about this time last year, and you just like went out into your car to have your Alone time. It was like, I'm not in the house. I'm unreachable. This is my hour, or however long you can hack it in a hot car. It was just like, it was so raw and real. And it was just like, this isn't my pervious picture, but <laughs> this is me right now just taking time for myself. And I wanted to like scream from the rooftops. I was like, sometimes we, we, we get what we can or we do what we can, but I'd love to hear more from you on that and some of the other things you learned.
1: Oh, yes. Oh yes. What do we call this? Um, the family timeout. <laughs> we've, we've been in a family timeout for a year and a half. It was admittedly, it was rough at the beginning because it was so unsure that how long it was going to happen or go on. But you know, what's so weird is about a week in, I said to my husband in March of 2020, I said, we're not going back to school this year. And in the summer, I was like, we're not going back. I didn't want to tell him in that moment that I was like, we're not going back to school in the fall. And when I finally said, he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, honey, there's not going to be a federal response to COVID because we have people who don't know how to do that. Running the I used running the government in quotes here. I was like, yeah, we got to wait till the inauguration. First, we have to have an election and actually get a new person and then we have to wait for the inauguration for it all to happen so go ahead and just relax into it he was like "Mm -mm, mm -mm. that's a weird weird thing you got going there with your little crystal ball and as time went on he was like holy shit, we're really going to be doing this i was like we're really going to be doing this for a long time and i knew that because of the work I had done where I was like, how do you think these massive campaigns happen from a federal response to a global thing? So anyway, so I made inner peace really early that I was like, oh, we're going to be here for a real long time. So one of the things we did is we. A spent a lot of time looking into each other's eyes and saying, oh, thank God, we've already gone to couples therapy. We have already worked out our shit. We're not on the verge of divorce. Oh, my God, thank God. Oh, thank God. Okay, so that's a good starting place. And you know, during that time, everyone's like, oh, my God, there's going to be so many COVID babies. And I was like, um, I think there's going to be a lot of COVID divorces, but sure, you go ahead. I'm like, anybody with little kids is like, hell no, I'm not having another kid. This shit is hard, and they don't go anywhere, and they want to eat snacks all day right so we created a block schedule and you're like what is that what is a block schedule well it is i'm going to take monday wednesday and friday morning 4 hours by myself i will drive the car we call the car the isolation pod i will take the isolation pod out and i'll go sit in a empty parking lot but i just won't be with you guys and whatever our 10 year old needs you're on and then the other days of the week I will be the morning person. And then we all were kind of just sad and watching TV in the afternoon because we're like, (laughs) I'm tired. I don't have any more in me. So we created a block schedule pretty quickly in. And so we, my husband and I, we are a divide and conquer. So one of us is with the kid. Like if you see all three of us in one place, you better congratulate us because it doesn't happen often. (laughs) And I am a firm believer that, When people's needs don't get met, much like a toddler, everyone's a jerk. I'm just a tall toddler. So if my needs are not met, I'm going to be a jerk. If his needs are not met, going to be a jerk. And with a kid, you at least kind of expect it. So we had a family meeting every single week, which started with us giving each other compliments. Sometimes it was a stress. (laughs) And then we would say, what problem are we having? So sometimes it would be like, everybody got to put the on the agenda. So our kid would be like, you guys yell too much. And we're like, you interrupt too much, right? So nothing was off the table. We're like, oh my God, we'd never leave. It's so messy in here now. Where did all this clutter come from? We're not going anywhere. So, but we approached it of like, look around where are we struggling as a team, right? We're a team. Where are we struggling? And then we would pick one area to focus on and we would say, okay, How are we going to solve this problem? Write down everybody. So it's the same thing that I did in my classroom. Right. We're focusing on the problem. Mm -hmm. We're solution oriented. We're like, how are we going to solve this messy problem? Right. We came up with all the solutions. We got rid of all the like really punitive ones because we're trying not to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, We got rid of the ones that don't make any sense. And then we decided like, okay, we're gonna try this solution for this week. We'll come back in a week and we'll check how'd we do as a team, right? So, and we take our kids' suggestions on how to do stuff because she has really good ideas, which I would like, ideas that I'm like, I would have never thought come up with that. Get a bit of gun to my head. I would have (laughs) never come up with that. So we did a family meeting. Every week to solve our family's problems. And one of my problems is they're extroverts and I am an introvert. And so there was that meme going around online about, oh, this is the introvert's dream. Like underneath is like, but my family's still here. Please help. Right? It's that idea of like, yes, not that much about my life changed. When the pandemic started, I work from home, I work alone, all of these things. But I was like, why are they here? Why are they here? And so I had to start setting alarms on my phone that, like, all caps get a book, get in the car, drive away. And I, because I would like try to do it in the laundry room or I'd try to do it in my bedroom and I could hear them talking and I'd be like, man, I still hate you guys. This is terrible. Like I don't live here anymore. Cause you guys won't stop talking. So they would be like, isn't it time for you to go? Like I come out being all like snarky and they're like, shouldn't you be gone already? So the car became a very special place for our family during COVID. Isolation pod, like I put pillows and blankets and yoga mats and cushions. We have a hatchback. I would get in the back seat. I would pull the seats down and then like lay down in there. And I would open the sunroof. Pro tip, college campuses have been closed. So I would drive to a college campus, park under a tree in their giant open air flat parking lot, like not the tower and just like look out the window and look out the sunroof and the leaves. Yeah. So I focused very much on getting enough alone time and reading and family meetings. Oh, and then mid pandemic, my best friend died. And so the special self-care practices that I focused on, whereas I immediately connected with my grief besties. When you're like, who the hell has grief besties? I do because I have a weird amount of, I've lost a lot of people over the course of my life. And so I have this very weird, deep knowledge about how to deal with grief. And so I reached out immediately to my grief besties and I got myself in a grief support group online, which I'm like, if I never go to a meeting in person again, I will be okay. And I took two and a half months off work. No, I took about eight weeks off work. And I just said, this is my, I'm just going to do what I need to do. I'm going to feed myself because I wasn't the only one grieving. Like this is like a 30 year plus relationship. Like, my daughter was gutted, my husband was gutted, like all of our friend group. And I was like, I can support the people who live in my house. I can try to support our other friends. I'm gonna let as many people as humanly possible support me. And what was different about other losses I'd experienced is I was very, very public with my grief. Like Instantly, I was like, hey, everyone who has ears, I lost the most important person who does not live in my house, Um, and I need help. People showered us with food and comfort items and so much love and understanding. and, And I feel like because I really let myself deeply, deeply, deeply mourn. That at the new year I was like, huh. I mean, I kind of felt like Pexitani Phil, you know, the the gopher or no, is it a gopher? No, groundhog. The groundhog's I was day. I say the groundhog. No, like, yeah, like I was like, I kind of after at, like after the holidays, like mid-January, I kind of perked up and was like, wait, did we have an insurrection? What the hell? Are we having another impeachment? What the hell? Do you remember a hundred years ago in January when we were like every Wednesday we had a big thing? Or every two, I can't remember whatever day it was. I was like, every week we're gonna have a thing that starts with an I. What the fuck? This is so crazy. <laughs> um, but allowing myself that really tender spot of really attuning to my own needs, dialing into the people around me, the ebb of the give and the take of support. Yeah. And that's how we ended up because. Our girl Michelle Marlehan, who I know you have interviewed, she's my one of my grief besties. And so we ended up doing the grief series because by and large, people are kind of terrible at grief. Like we don't know what to say to people. We don't know what to say when we're experiencing it. We don't know what to say when other people are experiencing it. And if we are lucky enough to be in loving relationships with people, There is going to be loss and it doesn't have to be from death. It can be divorce or bankruptcy or retirement or whatever. But I'm tired of people stepping in the same pile of poop and being like, I didn't know what to say. Okay. At some point, friend, get it together and get better at grief. So we did a series of 10 episodes called get better at grief because there's nothing worse than being in like excruciating pain and somebody else making it about them or somebody saying something insulting or you being the idiot that like accidentally hurts somebody's feelings deeply because you were an idiot. I have been an idiot about grief. People are like, Oh my God, I can't believe you did this when you were in this really acute place. And I was like, Oh no, it's a gift. I'm telling the world Please, this is how I would like you to interact with me going forward mm-hmm. in grief. Because we're going to have some more, guys. We're going to have some more grief. So let's all, let's, oh, is this a good time to say we're all going to die at some point too. <laughs> and by the way, I did say that to my third graders at one point. The room stopped and I was like, it was super relevant. And then it obviously the conversation stopped and I was like, I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to talk around this. And then when I sent them to recess, I went to the principal's office and I was like, "Okay." so I ended up saying at some point we're all going to die. And she's like, what are you fucking talking about in there? And I was like, it was I can't remember the connection now, but I was like, it was super relevant. It was not totally tangential. I did not mean to say that. But I was like, I did not ruin Santa Claus for them. (laughs) I ruined eternal life and I, for this, I apologize. And she's like, thank you for the heads up. If I get any weird phone calls from parents about mortality today, I'll be like, yeah, she's an idiot. I don't know what she did there. I was like, okay, just checking.
0: Oh my gosh. What I would have given to be a fly on the wall in that classroom when that came out. Cause it just, like you said, that's one of those things that can kind of suck the air out of the room, right? Everybody's just like, even though we know that that's all true. Um, You're like,
1: raise your hand if you want to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And everybody really <laughs> raises their hand. And they're like, I don't know how to make this happen, but I would really like that toothpaste back in the tube. Oops.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hear you on that one. And I'm glad you brought up the, the grief series because that was something I wanted to bring up if you didn't bring it up. I'm also curious about your book club. I know you post a book club and you're always talking about online the reads that you love, your favorite reads of all time and some recent ones you keep us posted. The one you just posted earlier this week looked really, really good. I don't know
1: if that's one you'd want to talk about now. I just wanted to ask what you're reading now. What are some of your... Ooh, what did I post? So <laughs> if you guys are curious, I do have my own hashtag on Instagram. It's oh. hashtag Tammy Reads A Lot. T-A-M-I Reads A Lot. And those are some really great books. So my book club, Okay. So I am a voracious reader. So one of the things I tell my clients is like, I'll do the reading for you. I'm like a human Blinkist, you know, that service that will like give you the whole synopsis and the the, the main points and all that stuff in 15 minutes. I'm like, well, I'll just help you actually implement the exercises in the book. Take that Blinkist. So I read the book I call the information. I'm like, oh, I have an exercise for that. Oh, like come at me with a problem. I'll be like, I got a solution to your problem. I read about it probably in a brain bound book or (laughs) any number Mm -hmm. of books. So recently I reread the book Burnout Mm -hmm. by the Nagowski sisters. It's Emily and Amelia Nagowski. This book came out in 2019 and I've read it four times. Oh, because it's really, I will just say, Everything that they talk about in that book, there's a scientific, they do the brain science and all that. All of the components of the book, I'm like, I do that with my clients. I do that in my group. I do that in my, I was like, holy crap, this is my group. So I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to host a book club on this book, Burnout, and we're going to meet once a week and we're going to talk about one chapter at a time. So that's what we did. We just wrapped up. The long and short of it is everybody was like, oh, my God, this book is life changing. So if you have never read the book, read the book and you could even get the Blinkist version or you can follow me on Instagram. I'm sure I'm going to be talking about it because hashtag complete the stress cycle will change your life. But I'm hosting a new book club this fall. So starting in September, we meet on Tuesdays at four o'clock Pacific. In my Zoom room. So you just go to my website and you can find the link to sign up. Again, you can follow me on Instagram and you can find it in my bio. And we're going to be reading the book Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. And we're going to go live for 30 minutes every Tuesday to talk about the book. And the book is all about when you have too much to do. What do you do about it, right? And so, fair play. The idea is like you're probably in relationship with another grown-up in your house. Who's doing what? Who's doing some of it? Who's doing all of it? Is the the load equal in your house from idea all the way through execution? And so, I'm going to take whoever wants to come along with this ride on the book club. Everybody reads one chapter, we get online and I'm like, what were the big takeaways for, hey, Megan, what was your takeaway from chapter two? And then you're like, my favorite quote is this, next person. And then there's this cross conversation about, oh, that happens at my house too. Or, oh, when that happened, this is what we did. And so what it's doing is it's creating accountability for people to actually read the book (laughs) It's creating accountability for people because also at the end of the call, I'm like, so you learned a bunch of new stuff this week. What action are you going to take on the thing that you learned? I mean, how many of us have read a book and thought, whoo, I got to come back later and do the exercises? Everyone, always, right? So this way you're like, oh, that's right. I'm going to meet with these people again and we're going to talk about it again so that's what we're doing for the fall is we're going to read one chapter at a time of fair play by E. Rodsky so favorite books ready the gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown I'm almost a Brene Brown stalker I'll just say I have every time I have a microphone in front of me, I'm like, so my girl Brene Brown. I mean, it's it's a shame that she doesn't know who I am yet because I'm about to mention another book of hers that I love, which is Braving the Wilderness. Mm-hmm. I love that book so much. And especially the audio. She reads it and she's such a funny storyteller, and it's just so well done. A book that will completely change your life is a new book called. Set boundaries, find peace. A guide to reclaiming yourself by Nedra Tawab. Okay, I am somebody who I will just say it I have good boundaries, I have notably good boundaries. And this book blew my mind. I was like, I want to sit by this person at a dinner party and be like, Show me the way, Nedra. You are amazing, it's life changing. I'm judging you. The Do Better Manual by Lovey Ajay. Have you ever read that? Holy mm-hmm. crap. A, it is hilarious. And B, yes. and so if you don't know Lovey, like go find her book. I'm judging you, The Do Better Manual. Read it, watch her TED Talk, and then read her new book. See what I just did there? I turned around to find it. Professional troublemaker. It's so good. Oh she is a nigerian american woman who oh my god she's hilarious and, but and she gives she's like here is a road map for doing better go do better so good parenting from the inside out could be the only parenting book anyone actually needs it's by dan siegel here mm-hmm. let me save you a bunch of time reading. Get your shit together so you don't hand over all your baggage to your kids. Ta-da! There's your parenting yeah. you yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle, which is what we just did as a book club. Notes on a Nervous Planet by Matt Haig. Have you read that?
0: Oh, I have heard of that and I've read oh, parts of it. but
1: not so And he has a yeah. new book coming out called The Comfort Book. So this is, he is a white middle-aged dude from England. All of the books I'm going to tell you about are by women and women of color, but not this one. This is a white guy, a British guy, middle-aged British guy. I love him. Mm -hmm. I love him because Notes of a Nervous Planet is basically him talking about how modern life really affected his anxiety and depression and how he kind of had a nervous breakdown. And it's really well written. And he's got great fiction. Anyway, crazy. The Some of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together by Heather McGee. Mm. So good. Mm-hmm. And she mentions three cities that I have lived in, Richmond, Sacramento, no shit, and I forgot the other one. But I was like, oh, my towns are famous for racism. Amazing. <laughs> Huh. Oh, right but it's a thing because but there's this perception that there's no racism on the coast there's no racism anywhere except you know over there
0: yes but she's
1: yes. like oh wait no, no no let's check out this systematic racist shit that's happening in these industries and in these neighborhoods and and it was really well written really good and everyone should read it and then get good with money if you are somebody that's like i'm not sure if i'm grown up enough to have money because i'm not really sure what to do with it the budget has you covered and she has a great book and it's amazing on audio called get good with money highly recommend it
0: oh that is a comprehensive list
1: girl and if you want to follow me on Goodreads, you can find out all the other things also more because i know
0: you are a voracious voracious reader so i've been and same thing i feel like when i was a kid and a teenager early before internet, I just read all the time and watched movies sometimes. And all of that seemed to shift. And now we had a conversation about that a few months ago to like, I just consciously make the time to do it like X times a day for X minutes a day. And so for me, it's like definitely every night before bed. And then on weekends, I try to do the morning maybe mid-afternoon and evening, if, if I can. You know, it depends on what's going on in the schedule, but just making the time to do it because it brings
1: me so much happiness. I actually have a podcast episode. I can't remember what number it is, but it's like the secrets to becoming a person who reads a lot. I like totally yeah. lay out oh, everything okay. that we I... Oh, okay, need to listen to that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything that I do to and including tracking my books is really upped my reading a lot. So I like I use Goodreads to be like I set a reading goal for the year one year. I set it for like 50 books. And that year I read 100 books. The next year I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll read 104 books because I was like, I can read two books a week. And I read 139 books this year. I set it again for 104 because I was like, you better calm down. You don't know what's going to happen in your future. And I had already hit over a hundred books like by the end of May. Wow. But I'm a weirdo, but I also read all day because again, I, it's part of my job. Mm-hmm. Right. So people are like, how do you know all this stuff? I'm like, well, I literally read all day long. It's what oh, I'm known for.
0: That's actually what I wanted to ask you about. One of the um, last couple questions I wanted to ask you was about your routines uh, I know that's something you've talked about. So like morning and evening. So I, I think I know already that reading is definitely part of your <laughs> morning and evening routines. But what are your other kind of non-negotiables that make Tammy who who you are?
1: It's funny. Uh, so I have a podcast episode on my non-negotiable morning self-care. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny when people listen to it, they expect to hear like showering and this. And I'm like, oh, no, that is really I can't emphasize enough. I do not work with other people in person. So, showering is not on my to do. It's not, it's nego- Showering is negotiable. I, I'm saving water, really bad drought. It's a thing, guys. I'm just saying uh, I write a lot in the morning. So, I do a lot of reflection. I keep weirdly copious notes about my moods um, because I am a person, I need to see patterns to understand how I can change my behavior so I can feel the way I wanna feel. And I'm super duper sensitive to things like alcohol. Guys, it took me a really long time to be like, God, I don't think this actually works for me. Crap, I'm good at it. I'm hella funny when I drink, this is amazing. And then the next day I'm like, well, I wanna stab everyone in the face. I'm like, well, this is like, it took me 14 years to go, you know what? Let's experiment. In those 14 years, I had periods where I was like, I don't drink anymore. And then I'd be like, just kidding. So now I call myself basically sober curious. I'm not going to bust your chops about drinking or not. I'm just refraining because it doesn't feel good in my body in this season of my life, Mm -hmm. which is I mentioned I'd live with two extroverts. They both always want to talk to me. I'm like, no, we shouldn't put booze between me and you. It's certainly not the next day because I don't know if y'all are going to survive. So I don't drink, I have to move my body. I'm a hundred percent insulted, that that seems to be as I age, non-negotiable. it pisses me off. I like to exercise for pleasure, not for keeping me out of the depths of depression. I take medication because I really. I'll just say this. When I emailed my doctor to say, hey, my best friend died and I'm super struggling. It was like four weeks after she died. I was like, I'm super struggling. She wrote me this email that was so full of self-care things that I was like, okay. But at the top, she's like, hey, I included a list of all the things I know you're already doing. And if you want a script for some antidepressants to help you get out of the hole, just go to the pharmacy that's right here. she's like i know you do all this stuff already right and that's when a friend sent me a shirt that said oh my god i could feel so much worse (laughs) which is like i could feel worse i could skip on sleep and feel like garbage i could drink and feel like garbage i could not exercise and i could feel like garbage so i just have this weird like i'm like what do i need to do so i feel the way i want to feel and i do that Mm mm-hmm Oh, that's a Right? And it, it's just that simple. And it's I, a lot of it's really unsexy, I got to tell you.
0: Like, that's, what, that's the best part of it. That's what like, makes it so.
1: Go to the eye doctor, get oh. new glasses, wear sunscreen, moisturize your skin. So my evening routine, I will, after we finish this, I'm going to go get ready for bed. It's still light out, everyone. It's clock <laughs> in the evening. I like to get ready for bed so early that I'm never too tired to get ready for bed
0: I get that I may not be as, as early to get ready for bed but basically around eight o'clock I'm kind of like I just start like I gotta get into the bathroom I got like I gotta do your way thing and I kind of feel the same way you've just put words into my heart oh
1: yeah and I and I have an alarm on my phone at seven forty at night that says you're done here and I plug in my phone and I turn it over like face down and I try not to touch it again until morning. Mm -hmm. Is it the first thing I touch when I wake up? Duh. Of course I have to see what happened on the internet for like the 12 hours. I wasn't on it. Duh. I don't have a problem with phone usage in the morning because I didn't do it all night. Right. Yeah, Right. And so then that's, that's when I start reading, Mm -hmm. I lay down with my kid while she gets, you know, does her like flipping and flopping around in her bed and trying to talk to me and all that business. And I'm like, be quiet. I'm reading. I'll sit here while you go to sleep. So I'm in there. And then I try really hard to just in the dark, right? I've been laying there in the dark reading on my Kindle. And then I will crawl into my own bedroom and be like, just go to bed. So I try to be asleep by like 930 Mm -hmm. or 10, 363 days a year. I know I was going to say five, but then I was like, there are those times where I'll go out and see like a rock show. And I'm like, holy crap. You guys have been up for almost 24 hours. It's 2 a.m. It's almost time to get up again because I'm also a super early bird.
0: Mm-hmm. No,
1: I feel that. Yeah. I feel and I, that. Oh, I read when I exercise. Oh. So I either I bought the TikTok desk bike. It's not in my office right now. You can't see it, but okay. it's an exercise bike with a desk so I can sit there and pedal while I read or I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And so I pro tip never listen on 1.0 speed. It's usually one and a half or two. Oh,
0: so which faster. is faster.
1: Hmm. Oh my God. It's like drinking coffee, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't do. So I'm like, wow. Could you imagine if I was listening to audiobooks at double speed and drinking coffee? My head would just be like, no yeah, more for you. <laughs> So I just I build in like I read definitely at lunch. I read literally for hours. I watch almost no TV. There is no judgment in that. I watch TV at other times, but I really prioritize reading because it brings me so much joy. And there's so many great books that I haven't read yet that I feel like I'm like, ooh, I better hurry up. And they're being published every day, you guys. So we like, it's never ending. Yeah. It's never ending in the best possible way. But I'm like, I want to make sure I would like to feast at the buffet of all of the good writing before I die. And so I better hurry up.
0: Did you have bookmobiles growing up? Do you know what that is?
1: I do know what it is. We didn't because we had a library branch in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, I would beg my parents to take me. And it was like, the crazy treat and when i was there i i'm a i like to search the stacks and like basically turn my head completely sideways like 90 degree angle and read like what's there and i decided when i was young that i wanted to read as many books as possible in that library and then every time we went to the school library did you guys have scholastic book club we did yeah, okay. I was like, I didn't know which day was more exciting the day you got the little <laughs> newsprint thing where you circled everything you wanted, or yeah. the day that you like counted your pennies and got the one like 65 cent book, or the day it actually came. I was like, Oh my god, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Continues to be a thing for me. But yeah. I do that with the library now.
0: yeah new books, book recommendations. I have a friend who brought over a book I've been dying to read and just hadn't gotten to it. And she's like, do you want to borrow this? Cause you're going away this weekend. I was like, yes, I'm so excited. It's, it's the best, it's the best gift. It's the best gift. I wondered as we kind of wrap things up, if you would share something with all of us, something that you like to make, do, eat, or enjoy Besides reading and all the other things we've (laughs) talked about. And then what's something that's one of your favorite things to go out and do, see, and enjoy? And that you, you know, wish maybe other people could experience it too.
1: Okay, I will start with something that surprised me. And that is swimming. Mm. Swimming has been a very quiet companion to my grief. Back in 1989, my first friend, Carla, was killed by a drunk driver. And I was devastated. And I found solace in the swimming pool. I just swam laps. I took this college class, the swim class, and I just swam laps. I learned how to really, really swim. But it was weird. It was very unconscious. I was very drawn to the water. I was very drawn. To this peaceful meditative practice. And then six years ago, my mom died. And inexplicably, I found myself at the YMCA taking swimming lessons when my daughter was taking swimming lessons. So she was with the kid instructor, I was with the adult instructor because I hadn't really spent any time in the pool. Since 1990, I was like, do I even know how to do this anymore? Hey, uh, so we're clear, it is like riding a bike, but probably easier. But what's crazy, Megan, is I didn't even notice this pattern. And then after Tess died, one of my grief besties, who I hadn't spoken to in a while, texted me and she said, Oh my God, I just found out that your best friend died, and I just had a swimming pool put in my yard. Please come over and swim whenever you want. Um, And I was like, oh, look at me having to practice my receiving muscles. Okay. And I've been mm -hmm. swimming multiple days a week since February. And I feel like that is one of the things that I'm like, because every once in a while, I'm like, why am I so okay? And it's like, well, you had your deep mourning period where you were alone. Mm -hmm. And now I just swim it out. It's one of those pools that is, um, has the current that pushes against your head. It's very oh. strange. It's like you have to figure it out, but you know, by the way, pro tip, you can totally cry in the water and nobody knows that you're crying. Mm. Right. It's like, and it's warm and it's soothing and it, it moves your whole body and you can't read or listen to anything except your breathing and counting strokes. It's very meditative. And it's it's been, I don't usually uh, say things like this, but it's been profoundly healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are not somebody who has given swimming a try, I would encourage people to, like, spend some time in water.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Spend some time in water.
0: I and a place I day. will
1: actually... Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, A place I will actually leave my house and mess up my bedtime (laughs) for is my favorite band, the old 97s. Mm. I have seen them. I have gotten on airplanes to go see them. I have seen them in cities where I don't even know people. I've been a fan since 1997 and I have seen them. 50 times. I don't know. Like I, like I go see them like, yeah, yeah. And the singer, Rhett Miller, my rock boyfriend, he (laughs) follows me on Twitter. And as we were becoming parents, I was like, oh my God, am I ever going to go to a rock show again? Cause I was like having like an identity crisis of like, how does this even work? Like, how do you go to a rock show and get home at 2am when you have a kid? And so I wrote my fantasy set list and put it on my blog and then I tweeted him the link and I said hey you guys should come and play in Sacramento at Harlow's and then they did and then he was like got my set list what played my songs and then shouted me out from the stage and he's like I have no idea why you love this song so much here it is and I was like oh my god I think I'm dead this is amazing <gasps> So I'm just saying, follow your heart on Twitter, because I'll just say most people, even big rock stars, do their own Twitter. That's not a that's not a social media people that they don't usually farm it out. It's usually the person. Mm -hmm. Oh, my
0: gosh, that's incredible. That's an incredible story. Oh, I love that. See, the dreams really do come true. I've had a couple of times some rock stars actually, Lenny Kravitz, (laughs) responded on an Instagram live and on a post once to my, and I was like, I thought I was going to actually die. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Lenny Kravitz makes everybody's eyelashes longer and like everybody, it's all flirty face, like, Oh, and I read his memoir and learned so much about him.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's what you're talking about. it was his book I highly recommend it. I know. And I was like, I'm so excited. Thank you for writing this, Lenny. And he was like, you're very welcome, loving this life. And I was like, <laughs> Died. I died. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. Right? <laughs> so tell people, because I want, like, people to experience more of you. And we could make this, like, a two-hour long podcast. And I think people would hang on. But <laughs> I want them to listen to your podcast, too and to connect with you online and on social media and on your website. So tell us the best ways for people to hook up with what you've got going
1: on. I am on Instagram pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. I love stories. I'm gonna start doing reels. You guys, you heard it here first. (laughs) I'm gonna do the thing. And you can find me on Instagram at Tammy Hackbarth. And I have a private Facebook group and it's 100% guilt-free self-care with Tammy Hackbarth. There's a couple questions I want you to answer before you get in so I can get to know you before you even get inside. You can find my website at www.tammyhackbarth.com. And you can find the 100% guilt-free self-care podcast on any and all podcast players, Mm -hmm. as well as on my website, there's a link. And if you are interested in coming to my book club, You can come over and say hi to me on Instagram. I'll send you the link for you to sign up, get the book, read it this summer or wait until September and read one chapter at a time. Come and have a great conversation about that. If you're interested in working with me, I have a self-paced course called Self-Care Quick Start and you can find that on my website in a very hidden way. It's tammyhackbarthcom self care dash quick start I mean it's it's a thing we have dashes and everything and then I have a group coaching program called deferred maintenance and people are like what does that even mean I'm like don't you know you've like put off cleaning your gutters on your house and then like two years later you're like are there plants growing in my gutters (laughs) (laughs) well I hate to Tell you this, but a lot of people do that with their bodies and their jobs and their relationships. That's like, I'll do that later. Or, you know, my kids are too little or this or that or the other thing. And I'm creating a community of women who are like, you know what? Do you know what's better? Uh, Everything is better when I actually do the things I need to do to feel the way I want to feel. So we're going to do a round of... Deferred maintenance as a six-week program starting in October, and we're going to call it the deferred maintenance quickie. And then starting in January, here you go, brand new, hot off the presses, going to take deferred maintenance and make it a year-long program. So instead of doing a module a week, we're going to do a module a month and then repeat it twice. Oh. Yeah. Because cool. I have a lot of clients who keep taking it over and over and over and over and over and over again, thus making it a year long project. I'm like, hey, here you are again. Here you are again. And so I was like, should I just do this as a year long? And they're like, you mean kind of like how we already are? I was like, yeah, you betcha. Gotcha.
0: Your clients have given you their playlist and you're just like, okay, we're just exactly. going to give you what you
1: want. And that's amazing. Exactly. Right. By the way, I think that might be the biggest business secret. If you're here for business, ask people what they want and then give it to them. Yeah. Crazy town.
0: Yeah. Oh, Tammy, this has been amazing. I love you. I love talking with you. I love collaborating with you on these things. I feel so lucky to know you. You've dropped so many wisdom bombs and, and funny bombs. I feel like most of this podcast, my responses is, it's just me laughing. I turned myself on mute several times because I could not stop laughing. And I didn't want people to be <laughs> hearing me just laughing nonstop. So thank you for that. You brought so much joy to this episode to be to our listeners. So it's just so appreciated. I want to thank you for making the time to, to come on today and be with us here and give me a shot and come on to this new platform. So I know that listeners are going to resonate and connect with you as well.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. God, you're welcome
0: and listeners so remembering it's always a good time i'm going to add in laugh because i'm sure you laughed along with me on this episode listening to tammy but a reminder that at maya it's always a good time to listen closely expand exponentially and spend some time with your mind on the mat i want to thank wanda abney for podcast editing and our intro and outro music is provided through independent artists on freesound.org Valentin Sosnitsky, and SMAX 999. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.